Left. Right. Hi there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Futurist Sessions. This is episode number three. We are talking about the future. Again, we're looking at this five to ten year point, the 25 year point, and the 50 year point. If you're lucky enough to be alive in 50 years, uh, the ideas we may have now, which may seem preposterous now, might be very likely in 50 years. On that note, I will see you on the other end. Enjoy. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. This is episode 96 of SIP Talk. My name is Justin DiGiulio, New York City real estate broker. I am joined by James the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a referee, an accountant, and a bartender. Uh, very exciting combination of things. Uh, so we're just waiting a minute right now to make sure we're live. Uh we're going to continue the futurism series today. We're talking about the future, how the world's going to look in five years, in 25 years, and in 50 years. And the more preposterous the idea now, the less preposterous, the further out we get with the date. So I think it's really exciting that we get to talk about this stuff and kind of speculate in the future. I don't think we've got, gone anywhere preposterous. I think we're, you know, we talked about uh, healthcare. I think we talked about sex a couple of times. Uh, we talked about GMOs. We started to delve into this. Is it going to be more utopian or more dystopian in the future? Um, I really think that's going to depend on where you are and who you are. Um, but it's exciting stuff. So James, do you remember exactly where we left off? No. All right. Me neither. I say we start with a drink and we recap. What are, you, what are you drinking down there? And I'm sticking uh, with the a regular of uh, bush ice and a glass of boxed wine. I was going to make a drink, but I used up all my lemon juice yesterday, and I didn't go to the store and buy more today. A, um, a glass of boxed wine. Yeah, but I was going to go with a sidecar because it's a really classic drink, and when it's made properly, it's fantastic. And what's in a sidecar? That's going to be brandy triple sec and lemon juice shake it up and either serve it up or on the rocks i prefer up it's it's shaken with with ice yeah yeah, yeah it's a chilled yeah. drink uh, yeah then i guess i guess straight up would make a little more sense um all right let me uh i got a little tequila and diet soda here a little lime and uh were we talking about unemployment? Did we did we touch on unemployment last time? We briefly, we we kind of indirectly did by the universal basic income concept. <clears throat> okay, I mentioned uh, demand for social services probably being a lot higher. The issue is you're going to have a lot more technology involved, ro robotics taking over traditional jobs. The need for tradition. I mean, look at the way we're teaching right now, and people are having a complete meltdown because you know teachers well, can't because it's not something that the, the technology isn't there yet and a really important aspect of school is socialization 
and you don't get that from home. So learning how to interact with others in person, it's impossible to do that via Zoom. I, I completely agree. And I think kids do need to be in some type of an institution or, or classroom. But I don't necessarily know that learning that we can't enhance the learning system without technology. Um, well, sure. Technology can be really useful for learning. There's all sorts of things that you can do with technology that would be impractical or impossible in a classroom, but it can't replace teaching kids how to treat each other, how to get along with each other. You can't make friends via zoom the way you can in person and being able to play with other kids that, that zoom can't replace that. Yeah. How do you, I mean, is cyber bullying, can you cyber bully via zoom? Or is that I'm strictly? Sure you, I don't know. I don't think that has any limits. Is that strictly playground related? Um, well, you can't cyber bully on the playground. You just do it the old fashioned way. Well, that's normal bullying. Yes, cyber bullying. But if you're restricted to communication through through Zoom, not every kid has a Facebook profile. And do people still do AIM? Is that? No, that got shut down about a year ago. Oh, did it really? Yeah, it lasted way longer than I thought, but. I remember when we were in high school, that was the way to communicate. High school or middle school? Middle school through high school. I even started, I even continued using AIM freshman, sophomore, probably almost through senior year of college. It wasn't until I moved to South Carolina that like AIM kind of died its death for me. You had to give up your buddies. I remember Um, saving buddy lists and like writing names down. Of the buddy names. Well, in, in the <laughs> entire metagame that went into away messages. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh man, you had I had I had a whole array of away messages, like lists and lists of away messages. Yeah, um, I liked uh, your away message in the in the dead of winter when there was a foot of snow on the ground and you'd put in mowing the lawn. <laughs> but you know, nowadays, if you like, if you're like on WhatsApp and somebody's got an uh, an away message, you're like, you know, they said that six months ago or two years ago. But back then, when that was a thing, like that shit was up to date. Like that's what you were doing. You were taking a shower. You were taking a shower. You're taking a shit. You're taking a shit. Um, yeah, but you usually didn't put that as your away message. No, but I'm sure some people did. Uh, so look, uh, there's so much stuff I want to talk about. I want to get more into the singularity. This Terminator level super intelligence, which we didn't really delve into. I think we talked a little bit about it. Uh, and then David kind of ruined my counter argument against it not happening. So David made it possible again in my mind. Um, but let me uh, want to talk about the Supreme Court and politics a little bit more. But maybe we reserve that for when we have David. Yeah, because one idea that we haven't touched on at all is I wanted to talk about geopolitics and future relations between countries um the reason why i think about it is is a quote from i think somebody from saudi arabia because saudi arabia is super wealthy right now well at least some people are in saudi arabia but there was it was somebody saying like um your grandfather rode a camel your father like your great-grandfather rode a camel your father grandfather rode a horse your father drove a range rover you drove a range rover but your great grandson will ride a camel <laughs> because wow. it's the, the oil wealth is eventually going to disappear. Yeah. And like you're living really well right now, but eventually that's going to go away. Um, and so I don't know what is going to happen there, but I'm thinking, I, I think about countries like 
Norway, where they got a ton of oil money. And instead of spending it, what they did is they put it into what's called a sovereign wealth fund. Basically, a giant brokerage account for the country. Very smart. So they just invested it. And now their sovereign wealth fund is enough that like, I think they could just give every one of their citizens like $250,000. Wow. But they use it to fund all sorts of social programs. And so they didn't just blow it on things. They put it into investments and are going to just continue sitting on those investments and making money off of it. I think that's a a very smart idea. But you, I mean, you're right about the Saudi Arabia area. All these countries that are dependent as they're, uh, you know, producing fossil fuels. Um, I had a thought this afternoon about fossil fuels. I don't want to divert the topic too much, but if we're going to be traveling interplanetarily, um, are we going to be bringing fossil fuels with us? No, no. We we need some type of nuclear power that we're bringing with us, or major enhancements to solar power. Um, but again, the sun doesn't hit all the planets the same way. Not all the planets spin quite as quickly as the Earth does, so solar power doesn't work quite as well out there. Well, planet spinning has nothing to do with how powerful the sun is. It's the farther you get away from the sun, the weaker it is. Um, sure, but if half the planet spends a lot more time in nighttime, but that's not how spinning works. Unless the works. planet's tidally locked to the sun, then you're going to spend fifty percent of the time in day and fifty percent of the time in night. Sure, now, 50, it might be a longer 50, day and it might point. be a longer night. So you're, but you're it's still going to be fifty percent. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you there, <laughs> but I'm saying you may have a very long nighttime, which means your access to solar power during that nighttime. And I don't know what it is on Mars, um, but I think it's longer than it is on earth. So you have less, are you searching this right now? Um, I bet, I bet a camel, Lisa says, I bet a camel is better for the environment. Uh, Martian day is almost exactly the same length as ours. It's one day, 37 minutes. So it's only 37 minutes longer. Well, I was right. But alternative, like, basically, I think the for planetary size power uh, or being able to get energy on another planet, um, hydrogen and oxygen are two of the most abundant elements in the solar system. And if you can extract them, then you can just use hydrogen and oxygen to create power because they, they combust. And what's nice is when they combust, they create water, which is useful for all sorts of things. But that's what that's why they're looking at using the moon as a jumping off point for further exploration in the solar system is that there's a lot of water trapped in in the moon, just kind of underneath the surface, Mm -hmm. basically dissolved in the rocks. And so you can just harvest the moon's crust for hydrogen and oxygen. Now, for interstellar travel, you run into some problems because oh, yeah. while it's super handy for traveling between planets or whatever, there, there's a big difference between trying to go from the Earth to the moon or to Mars to going to even Alpha Centauri, which is our closest star, or Proxima Centauri, um, trying to come up but, with a But you need example. a sustained energy source. So what I'm saying, I was, I was watching a video about nuclear power on earth and how the majority of the energy use on the grid is through fossil fuels. 
and then to get to the other power sources, we need to electrify uh, how we're using power. So, um, well, yeah, uh, right now it's coal and natural gas provide the vast majority of power for pretty much everywhere. France uses a lot of nuclear energy, but um, nuclear energy has it is really efficient and it's relatively cost effective, but it's expensive to start up. And there's still the issue of what do you do with the radioactive waste, which is something that they're actively working on fixing. And then there's also the whole problem of what happens if there's a nuclear accident, um, but, like but in Chernobyl are, or um, Fukushima. These are things are what, and how long ago was that? Fukushima was 10 years ago. Chernobyl was 86, I think. Okay. Yeah. Fukushima. Yeah. Okay. You're right on that. But when was that plant built? Do you know? Fukushima? Yeah. Was that more recent? Um, Fantastic question. Because a lot of the nuclear power plants are fucking way ass old. Uh, I think like 60s. Fukushima was built in 67. 67. Exactly. We're not building that many new power plants. So the the majority of the the foundational science that went into that was from the 60s and possibly even the 50s, depending on how long it took them to build it. Well, we've made a lot of progress from going from what the, the, the initial technology to these thorium reactors, which basically, like, if there's a problem, they, through physical processes, naturally shut themselves off. So instead of having a runaway reaction like you did with Chernobyl, the, the runaway reaction works the opposite way to shut down the plant. I get that. Um, I get that. But what what you said, we made some progress. You said we made a lot of progress. Imagine the amount of progress we could have made if we were actively engaged with it kind of as a as a planet like the United States really is completely turned off of nuclear power. Nobody wants to be anywhere around nuclear power. If you survey people I think it would be just a vast kind of majority. No. But then you say, well, what are the what are the alternatives? And the alternatives are solar power, wind power, water power. And that's a fraction of the amount that we use fossil fuels in contrast yeah. to the biggest alternative is fossil fuels. But at some point, we'll run out of that. I mean, I think in the 70s, we were predicted to run out of it by the 70s. But obviously, that didn't well, happen. Yeah, but- and, and you make predictions like that. And then people are just like, well, fuck that. Like, it's never going to happen. I think and- more realistic product- predictions are at current usage levels somewhere in the next 7100 years which is pretty close if you think about it um and so yeah the the thing about all those natural uh, all these quote-unquote green energies is they're great but some of them are like there's gains that need to be made in efficiency and the cost needs to come down um i think two interesting areas of research are tidal power and nuclear fusion um Nuclear fusion has a long way to go, but I think that's something that we should be researching because it's crazy more efficient than nuclear power. And then tidal power is free. Just think about how much water moves in and out of a coastal area every single day. I, I've watched some videos on that on YouTube, and it's really, it's really cool. Uh, you know, just the fact that like that's been completely overlooked, and somebody's like look what we could do i don't think it's been overlooked the the reason why it hasn't taken off is because building stuff underwater anything that has moving parts that's in the water requires a lot of maintenance to not fall apart fair enough but i mean oh and you're also in salt water um but when i mean overlooked i mean if if anybody who is listening to us now is familiar with tidal 
uh, energy sources or has one near them or has ever heard of it before, give me a thumbs up in the comments. Uh, I doubt that we're getting any thumbs up. Maybe someone has heard of it, but I imagine they're probably not too, too familiar with it. So uh, apparently Saudi Arabia is looking to try and transition to renewable energy, according to, to Rosh's research. Um, well, I just don't really associate forward thinking with the Saudis. Call me crazy. Yeah. But the thing is, like, there's I, I and I think I've said this in podcasts before, like the idea of really spoiling your kids once they get out in the real world. And, they, and then you're just like hands off. They're like, fuck, I can't live like this. Like now I have to work really hard to get to get that lifestyle back. Uh, and I think Saudi Arabia having the riches that they do now and the lifestyle for the majority uh, of the population, maybe not the majority, I don't know. Um, but for the majority of the ultra rich there, they're like, well, look, we have this finite supply. The rest of the world is turning away from this. We're going to lose everything that we have if we don't start making changes. So we were spoiled, but if we don't do something about it, we're fucked. So, um, so Rosh is saying Saudi Arabia expects more than 20 million, 20 billion. billion investment in renewables over a decade. To me, that doesn't seem like that much money, though. No, when you consider that we're thinking about throwing like $2 trillion at infrastructure that pretty soon. <laughs> That's what I was just going to cite. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, I know I talk about this all the time, but it's kind of an obsession of mine is I'm really interested to see what happens with um, inflation and, and monetary policy, kind of both nationally and globally in the next decade or two. Because one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is it, like, to me, the last year, for some reason, I no longer think of money as a thing. I just look at it as like, we can print as much as we want. So like, why is this valuable? Like, it, like money's almost lost all meaning to me. Now that well, doesn't mean like I don't want it. It's just value. like when I see that we spend like $3 trillion in a month <laughs> and like, oh yeah, well, we'll deal with that problem later. The value is that it's not in your control. So somebody else is dictating it and they're basically establishing the value for you. Um, if it was in your control, then it wouldn't be valuable at all. So, yeah, it's just, I look at what's happening with the, the economy and our monetary policy. And I, it's really hard for me to see how people, how, how we, how we escape some kind of drastic inflationary event. Well, I, and now with all these different types of currencies, we may actually, you think, you think all the different currencies might actually depreciate the, well, I guess, uh, is that the opposite of inflation? Mm, well, deflation, no. but so. No, um, it would, de it would, def it would deflate then the dollar. It wouldn't depreciate it because inflation well, depreciates the dollar. No, it, it's, I, I, in my office today, we had like an hour long talk about this, uh, <laughs> Cause it was an office party. Um, one of our, one of our accountants was retiring and it was at two o'clock at our other office. And one of my coworkers comes into my office about 10 AM. He says, yo, are you going to so-and-so's retirement today? I was looking at him and said, fuck yeah, I am like it's free food. And I don't have to worry about doing taxes for two hours. I'll be there. Yeah. But we were talking about cryptocurrencies and about how a lot of people are using it as a hedge against inflation because to, to use Bitcoin as an example, 
right now, the network churns out a certain number of Bitcoin every 15 minutes. And it, maybe it's five Bitcoin every 15 minutes is a block. So a block gets found and distributed to whoever found it every 15 minutes. At some point, and I don't remember the exact date, but there's going to be some date where no more Bitcoins being mined. There, there's that all the Bitcoin that will, that will ever be will exist and none will be created anymore. So there's a finite supply of it. And people are thinking, well, if they're not making any more of it and there's still demand for it to be used, then its price will go up. Um, in much the same way that people buy gold saying, well, they're not making any more gold. So it, its value can't really go down. It might not go up a huge amount, but it'll never really go down. Um, I yeah. don't buy that argument for gold, but. <laughs> um, but it, so Raj is saying 21 million. When, when is that when we basically unlock 21 million Bitcoin? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that is one aspect of, of Bitcoin that I do think is is pretty cool. But I'm curious what happens when we get there because there's a huge business behind mining, and if these people kind of drop out, how's that going to affect the currency? Well, the mining serves two purposes. One is the miners are all working on help on clearing transactions. So if I wanted to send money to you through Bitcoin then the network would need to process that transaction. And the miners, using their computer power, the transaction goes through the network. And so the miners are basically, the Bitcoin has a ledger of all of its transactions. But do the, the miners get paid, do the miners get paid on clearing that transaction? Is that something that happens? So the transaction fee goes to the miners? Indirectly. The way it works is... Like usually you, you, there's two ways that you can mine crypto. The first is you can mine by yourself and hope to strike, strike it lucky and find a block. But that's basically like trying to win the lotto because you're competing against however other many million people are doing it and whatever hardware they have. So what most people do is they join a Bitcoin mining pool of, let's say, 100 people that all have their computers working together through a network. And then if the pool happens to find a block of Bitcoin, then that five Bitcoin will get divided up among those hundred people based on how much work their, their individual computer did. Um, and so, interesting. so that I, I don't know exactly where the transaction fees fall in because like the, the way that you earn money in Bitcoin is by proof of work and your pool finding the next block. I don't, and so it's not like the transaction fees are going back into the supply where let's say 10 million coins have been mined today. And then let's say there were um, a thousand, a thousand Bitcoin worth of transaction fees that were processed. It's not like you add that thousand back into the available pool of Bitcoin to be distributed. Yeah. yeah. So I don't really, to your question of where does the transaction fee go? I don't know. But I think the point that you're making that we're making the overall greater take home is if you got some extra money, it wouldn't be a bad idea to throw it into Bitcoin. Um, I'm not making that advice. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's move on a little bit because I want to get into internet regulation uh, in the future, because that's going to be, I think it's going to be a really Internet regulation is really 
information regulation uh, and connection regulation, which goes hand in hand with information. So uh, have you thought about that at all? Well, um, I know that one of the things that they've been trying to do, it, well, the net neutrality fight from four or five years ago was a big one about how ISPs can prioritize network traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, you want me to explain the idea a little bit more? Yes, because there was a recent ruling about a year ago that basically didn't wasn't very good for us, right? Well, so net neutrality is whether or not internet service provider, providers have to treat every single packet the same. So if you want to try and log on to Google, like your ISP has to connect you to Google's website. And ISP is internet service provider. So that would be like Fios or Spectrum. Yep. Yeah. Just just clearing that up for anybody listening to Time Warner Cable, any of the companies that provide internet service. So you're sending packets through Time Warner Cable and you're trying to connect to Google. And so the ISP has a choice as to whether or not they prioritize that. They can basically say, are you at the front of the line or the back of the line or somewhere in the middle? So this is the and, time it takes you to get information, your, to get your request, which is information sent out to Google, and then to get right. the information like, back. I send a packet Google. out and a packet will come back. But when that packet comes back or when my packet gets sent out is going to be subject to prioritization. Which is as far and, as anyone is concerned right now, it's basically instantaneous. Yeah, but so net neutrality, the idea was be, before, uh, basically, ISPs had to treat every packet the same, regardless of what set site you were trying to go to. They couldn't prioritize one type of traffic over another. And there was a change where the ISPs wanted to be able to prioritize those packets, with the idea being that if, let's say I run, let's say there's eBay, and then there's James's discount auction website, right? So I'm now a competitor to eBay. Now with net neutrality, it means that if someone searched for online auction sites and they want to go to my website, they should be able to access my website just as fast as eBay. But the ISPs wanted to make it so that they could prioritize the traffic because then if eBay pays a fee to the ISP or whatever to jump in front of the line, then eBay's packets will be handled faster than Boswell's discount um, auction site. Exactly. Um, and so people were like, this is, a, this is a way for ISPs to be able to kind of censor content they don't want because they can just put packets that go to websites that they don't like so far in the back of the line that it makes the website unusable. Yeah, which obviously hasn't happened yet because now pretty much still pretty much everything is instantaneous. Um, but I think right now we access the internet through ISPs, which are internet service providers, and that's pretty much unregulated by the government. Uh, mm. for, the, for the most part, you know, there's certain things that what, what are things that would be like on the dark web that you couldn't find on the regular internet because the because they're because that would be the that would be the difference, right? The dark web versus the regular internet. Well, no, the the dark web. Um, the dark web just, it, there's, there's two kind of parts to it. Part of it is like stuff that's hidden. That, that's like, 
hidden behind passwords and stuff like that, where, for example, like the DiGiulio group probably has an internal part of its website that only members of your your company can access. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like layer one of the dark web is like kind of all these different password protected websites. Okay. Yeah. And then there's also going to be like the back end code that a lot of websites are running would be probably considered part of the dark web. And then there's other that then the real dark web that people talk about is really just unlisted non-indexed websites. And that's where you need a special browser to be able to get onto them. Um, so what's a, non, what, router. what's a non-indexed website? What is an index? Well, is an it index website would be something like, no, yeah. So like the Google indexes websites. So if you, if you wanted to search for something, it's probably in Google's index. Sure. But any of these, these dark websites, which I'm just going to refer to as onions because that like, that's their yeah. URL extension. So any of these onion websites are not indexed, which means that no matter how long you search on Google, you won't be able to get to them. Now, now is there can you get to them using a url through a web browser if you have a special um web browser yes but you need to know the exact url okay and it's probably not like the bosnator.com it's probably a series of letters and numbers i assume yeah a lot of them are going to be kind of gobbledygook dot onions and the the browser that you use um basically it runs through um, like a whole bunch of virtual connections to get there. Okay. Um, it's complicated and I don't really understand it all that well. Well, let's, let's move on a, a little bit more um, because I think in the future, there's going to be so much information and misinformation on the internet. that misin- Not like today. I think, yeah, well, I think it's going to get way worse. The, inform- the misinformation is going to be fed to a lot more people along with um, news that appears to be, and I mean, it's already happening, but news that appears to be coming from credible sources, that's just not. And people creating, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a video that of something that looks very real that never actually happened. Like you might have a video of Putin saying he's declaring war in the United States and it looks like him, it sounds like him, it looks like a real video and it never actually happened. So I think we're going to have a lot more stuff like that going on. And there's going to be some government regulation um, and maybe even a delay as to things being published on the web. But how can you regulate that? Because, well, if you if you just like just like right now, you have the radio, uh, if you if you're on a live radio cast, I think in order to be the FCC requires there to be a certain amount of lag time. Or remember the Super Bowl when Justin Timberlake reached over and ripped off Janet Jackson's clothing? And 2004. They called, they called it a wardrobe malfunction, but he, yeah. he reached over and ripped off her shirt. I don't know. Yeah, I, 2004. I, I don't exactly. I mean, to me, I never understood how that was a malfunction. If you rip somebody's shirt off, whatever. Um, but PR but, at the NFL saving ass. Exactly. So they, uh, but they, they now work in this lag time for whatever reason. And that, that has to happen. So that could happen with stuff in order for stuff to be published to the web. It's got to clear, uh, you know, whatever, and maybe certain publications have higher priority or there's certain paywalls 
uh, in the future to scrutinize the data that's being uploaded? I think it's going to be difficult for them to be able to regulate the internet because so much of it is kind of grassroots and disparate where if you wanted to do your own broadcast or something using a low powered weight radio, like you'd probably be technically breaking the law because you need to have a radio operator's license. But at the same time, how are they like, sure, it might be breaking the law, but are they going to really be able to come find you and shut you down? I don't know. Can you trace the radio source? To some degree, but yeah. like I think unless you do do that, I know I know they they used to do that. People used to broadcast radio stations. Uh, there's a movie I think where they broadcast. pump up the volume. Is that what it is? Yeah, they, they broadcast out of a truck or something. They got to move the broadcast source. Um, but, well, so uh, Rasha's saying that like the the Super Bowl wardrobe malfunction was a live broadcast. But what, what you were saying about the live broadcast is that one of the responses to that was that a lot of live broadcasts now are on like a five second delay. Yeah, exactly. As, as a response. So that way, yes, you can censor a live broadcast because there's now this delay when it happens, someone's watching it and they've got five seconds to basically like cut the feed if something happens. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I think of, you know, in the future you have, well, you have this internet where anybody can upload and download stuff, but there's no, there's nobody kind of, there's no filter for what goes up. So it's like having an airport with no metal detectors or no staff and that people just get on the planes, you know, the planes basically get to their destination, but the people are in very much control of what planes there are. There's an unlimited amount of planes and un, unlimited amount of destinations. So you could, you could, sell a lot of terrible stuff into the internet and mess Here's up. Here's the reason why it's different. I'm, I think that the harm might actually end up being equal, but when you see, when, when a plane crashes, everyone can see what happened immediately and you can draw a straight line to something that's screwed up. Whereas when something terrible happens because of things that were posted on the internet, it requires a lot more steps to be able to connect it back to the well, it's, but event. it's yeah, it's it's worse. It's similar to the airport in that sense, but then it's much worse because it's much more complicated and much more impactful. Um, but I also think we're going to see a lot more paywalls on the internet. Yeah, but there you're also going to see a lot of people finding ways of circumventing them. <laughs> let's let's throw some stuff out to the audience though. So like we haven't had too much participation tonight. So let's see if we can increase that. Well, what, what are your questions and what, what are their questions about the future, about the Internet? Um, let, I, I'll give you an example uh, on the paywall. And I'm curious who pays for these things. So if you guys are watching, let us know. Do you pay for Netflix? Do you pay for Hulu? Do you pay for basic cable? Um, do you pay for the New York Times or the Washington Post? Because these are all effectively paywalls you're getting to the you're getting to access the information on those sites through paying a membership fee and as these sites gather more information it's kind of like aol you're logging into you're logging into that system to look at the information that they may, may be paying for but they're producing and they're putting the information together uh you know some curious who's listening to us who pays for any any website at all outside of just their basic internet. Uh, well, so I use this example when people ask about paying for stuff on the internet. Uh, 
So pretty much all the music that I listen to, I download or I listen to for free. Because um, like I mo- actually I use YouTube and Pandora for my for my music right now, and I can get pretty much any song I want. Um, movies I download on BitTorrent, but I actually pay for my video games, and the reason why is. Like I, it's so much like if less I were to, reliable. Well, no. Um, like with the video games, if I were to, I could probably easily download illegally any of the video games I play. But if I were to do so, they wouldn't get the updates for the bug fixes and everything else. I wouldn't be able to play multiplayer if I wanted to. And like if, and there's also the possibility that the game just won't work. Whereas if I pay for the game, it's guaranteed to work. And if it doesn't, I'll get a refund and I can play on multiplayer. It constantly gets updated. If there's any bugs or whatever else, there's new content that's being added all the time. Whereas like if I pay for a movie, so if I download a movie, I've got the file on my computer, two clicks and I'm watching the movie. Um, Whereas if I buy like a DVD or whatever, I have to have the DVD with me. And then I have to skip through like the ads that are at the beginning of the DVD and then nobody, I have to like nobody watches DVDs anymore, though. Okay, but if I download something digitally, a lot of times it's internet enabled, so I have to like it's going to go online to make sure that like I'm actually that I actually paid for it. Whereas if I download something, it's just a file, and I can use it even yeah, if I don't have internet. No, I, I get so that. I, get I, that. I look at it as the the pirates when it comes to movies are producing a better product than the paid product. Yeah, you you have a you have a very good point. You have a very good. Whereas point. on video games, I pay for my video games because it's a better product than the free product that I could be getting. So yeah, I I, feel I have very that. little sympathy for a lot of these companies that complain about, about people not paying for it. But at the same time, they put in DRM and other things to try and manage their content, which detracts from the experience, and then they become losing competitively on the experience of their product to the free product. Yeah, you, you you make a very good point. The free product is optimized beyond the paid product. Who's not, who's not going to go out of their way? So what what Lisa is referring to, she says she pays for all those services. I, I made a video the other day that said what you need to do to avoid paying for subscription uh, video services like Netflix or Hulu or HBO Go is to date people, have them over to your house, do a little Netflix and chill. Hey, come on! You want to come over? Let's uh, watch some Netflix. And they come over. And be like, oh, I don't actually have an account, but you want to sign in? <laughs> and uh, yeah. and then you're just good until they change their password or you upgrade devices. So. Yeah, this this results in one person in the entire country having a Netflix account, <laughs> who gets laid <laughs> a lot. Apparently. Uh, so uh, would you pay fifteen bucks a month for that? I would. <laughs> um. So. Let's see. Uh, I had I had some notes about there being two internets. Uh, let me, I don't know who Ziumina. Uh, she writes for Harvard. Had this theory that you're going to have the free web, um, and then the tranquil net, which is going basically the U.S. is going to be the Western world is going to be more free and open when it comes to the internet, and then Asia and the East is going to have this more you know and a lot of your muslim uh you know places where people wear full burqas things like that where they're much more conservative they're gonna have uh the tranquil net where the internet is much more regulated that already happens in china it already happens in china but what she's saying in china you can't even google something google doesn't exist in china 
and what she's saying is that that's going to grow. Other nations are going to sign on and then that to optimize it, the nations are going to join forces. And then you're ultimately going to end up in this dichotomy, just like politics. You have two parties right now. Um, and, you know, you can always uh, vie for this third party. But at a certain point, it's, you know, the dichotomy just gains the most power. Um but you're going to have the free internet and then the, the tranquil net is what she's calling it. And she's saying there, there is likely to be a, an internet cold war, which I find to be very interesting, but that's going to, the people will want the freedom and the government's going to want the power. So it's going to be the people fighting the governments. And you, you know, you have a lot of communist countries and a lot of, uh, a lot of countries that prefer to be free, but, the freedom on the internet could be doing a lot of harm to the citizens of the country. Look what just happened in our recent election. Yeah. To respond to Raj, I think that VPNs are going to continue to become more and more useful, especially for people that are in countries that have restrictive internet. Um, like VPNs do a lot of good things for, and I haven't used one all that much, but, um, and that's basically the concept for how you work with onions too, is like VPNs. Yeah, but but VPNs are, which VPN stands for what? Virtual private network. Yep. Where people can basically reroute your internet connection through some other location, mm-hmm. and um, and basically get around location regulation for sites. Yep. Um, so if you're in China, you can access another VPN, which is a, an access point outside of China. Now, the problem is if you're in China, they're like the Chinese government's going to know that you're using a VPN. So the the very fact that you're using a VPN is going to raise attention to you. Exactly. But that, that, what I was going to say is there are, there are ways to rain down on VPN usage. Um, so that's that's the attack on that. Um, but you do have countries that are attacking Internet privileges. You know, and, and call because it a privilege. It's a direct threat to them. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but with that, I want to get into surveillance and the internet of things. Uh, so the, you familiar with the internet of things? Yeah. IOT um, generally against it. (laughs) I know you are. Uh, so I, IOT stands for the internet of things and it is having connected devices. So not even necessarily smart devices, Uh, but usually smart devices, but devices that are connected to Wi-Fi. So you could have a toaster that's connected to the internet that just reports back how long your toast is down. But, um, you know, if it's a smart toaster, you can control from an app or or through an audio app how long your toast is down and what color you want your toast. Do those exist? Um, I don't have any idea. I think the popping mechanism, which is regulated by the timer timing is is a technology they haven't been able to get around for uh <laughs> I mean, that's Raj, says, Raj says smart fridges exist and he's absolutely right and it's completely absurd like why does my computer why, why does my fridge need to be connected to the internet um so look i just bought a refrigerator probably one of the most expensive appliances i've ever bought not that i bought that many appliances but i tried my best and again like how great of a refrigerator do you need? Like it needs to keep food at a certain temperature. 
within a margin of error of, you know, I'm okay with a couple degrees and it just, and it needs to not use that much energy and then have enough space. Yeah. Uh, You've hit all three criteria, (laughs) but I look, man, I shop for, and the thing is I wanted to get a cool new refrigerator. You know, I did the, the refrigerator that we have now here is just this old white refrigerator. That's like a little beige, just, I think it might originally have been beige, but you know, the old white appliances turn a bit beige. Um, so it's old as fuck, really. No, so uh, Rock says, like, the, the fridge is connected to the grocery store. If you want to have, like, 26 bottles of Coke at all time stocked up, it'll get them delivered. It's like, I really don't trust some fucking device. To, but that's to, my like, point, my is, is in shopping for refrigerators, I didn't want to buy something that had too much blatant technology that was going to be outdated and obsolete in four or five years. I wanted something that looked good, that had the technology that I thought was important. The refrigerator has technology that... What does it do? It stops. I don't know if this is smart or not. or It may be smart, but it's not. I don't know if it's connected. But it stops. You can put a water... You can put a cup under the fill nozzle, and it stops before it overflows. That sounds do, reasonable to do me. Do you have that technology enabled in yourself? <laughs> but not if, not if, you know, I am a little ADD. And having to wait, you know, 19 seconds for my cup to fill while just standing there like this, you know, drives me nuts. So, um, Rock says when you're drunk, it's useful. <laughs> yeah, I'm just worried about like someone hacking my fridge and then like the grocery store delivering like. I that could know, happen. Like that, you know, 26, somebody... 26 cases of like caviar or something. Well, so, so. The refrigerators that had the screens on them, I wasn't crazy about because that the interface technology is going to, you know, it's like having an iPad one and now it's seven years later and you're like, this shit doesn't do anything anymore. Can't even load the apps and you're trying to uh, load Amazon 3.0 and you bought your refrigerator in 2021. It's not even going to load. You're not going to have the processing power. You don't want to have. Yeah, Lisa says an ice maker. Okay, cool. Yeah. Have a, a fridge that has an ice maker and keeps things cold. And has enough space. Yeah, but but ice like ice this. making technology is very analog and and right it, exactly. It, we don't need that to be smart. It doesn't need to, it doesn't necessarily need to be smart. Now, if you want to be able to tell your refrigerator you want six ice cubes, and you you'd like them crushed horizontally, you know, but we're not we're not even there yet with the technology. Amex and Lisa are siding with me. <laughs> well, the refrigerator that I got is very simple. It doesn't have a screen. Doesn't it, I don't even I don't think it has Wi Fi. Um, but it's a nice refrigerator. It's got bronze handles instead of silver handles. So, so that's cool. Um, but let's see. The Internet of Things is basically having your house connected. How much did your fridge cost? Um, I don't, I don't know. Like uh, it was like thirty eight hundred bucks, I think thirty thirty nine hundred after tax, and then it arrived. Oh, I told you it fell off the truck, right? Yeah. So I bought one refrigerator. It cost like thirty seven or thirty eight. And then they damaged it and they told me it was going to be 40 days to get a new refrigerator. And I said, fuck that. So I got another one. It was a hundred bucks more that arrived with a bunch of uh, holes kind of uh, pushed in on the side of it. So they gave me today, they gave me like 760 bucks back. So that was nice. Uh, But it's a lot of money for a fridge. It's going to be hidden by the, by the wall. So I'm fine with that, but yeah, but it's a nice looking refrigerator. At the end of the day, that's, you know, that's all that matters. Yeah. I'm keeping the fridge that came with this house until it breaks. 
I'm keeping I'm keeping the one that came to this house too, uh, but I'm keeping it in the garage, <laughs> filled with beer. <laughs> so seemed like a, a classy suburban type of thing to do. Um, so I want to I want to talk about some other technology uh, that's connected in the house. I have uh, I think I had some notes on that actually, but we talked about temperature regulation in the house. That it's nice to when you leave be able to turn the temperature down or to set a schedule for a thermometer so that the temperature isn't running. You don't have to go to the thermometer, the thermostat every single day and adjust it down before you leave for work. It can just, I have a learning thermostat. Um, so it knows when we're not here and it turns the temperature down. Um, let's see home security. We talked a little bit about smoke detectors before carbon monoxide detectors. Yeah. Uh, those don't need to be smart. Well, it would be nice to know if your house is burning down when you're not there, right? I'd rather not know. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, yeah, I, I kind of side with you on that, but I would be fucking pissed. Yeah, I'm going to be pissed either way. Let me be pissed later. Uh, like, let's not let it ruin my day. It'll ruin then, my day uh, later. I'm going to get some shit done first. Let's see. Having cameras in the house. Again, that's like a uh, double-edged sword there because the, the whole cell to having security system that's live and you can monitor it live is that you're supposed to feel safer. But in actuality, you don't really think much about it normally. And then when you have the cameras, you're constantly checking in or you're getting the alerts. There was movement. There was sound. You're like, fuck, what's going on? Let me just check. Do I need to rush home right now? So it doesn't Um, actually make you feel any safer. Since moving in, I've got a whole bunch of flyers from various security companies like ADT or whatever saying like, hey, Give us a call. Talk about security systems. They've gone into the trash faster than anything else. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see. What else? What my else theory is that if somebody really wants to rob my house, a security system is not going to do shit. No, I, well, it, it, just the signs alone might be a deterrent. You could get some security signs and yeah, I could buy, I could buy an ADT side for five bucks, put it in the front yard, be done. I, I told you my uh, my camera I had outside the apartment door in Harlem was just a battery that attached to a flashing red light that was in a box that looked like a camera, and it just sat above the door. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, never had. I think that does as much good as a regular camera. Yes, but I didn't need to check it, and it cost much less. It was right. The, so the idea was the deterrent aspect of having a camera. Um, I got so. You got uh, you got a smart water heater, a smart furnace, smart AC, smart thermostat. You're now able to monitor your uh, utility usage. I can monitor my utility usage when I get the bill at the end of the month. Yeah, but I mean, you can more actively monitor your utility usage with with the Internet of Things of your home. Um and so then I got another note here. Well, as far as the futurism thing goes, like all this stuff just going to get worse. Like, I'm using the word worse because I hate it all, but it's going to become more prevalent. It's going to become much more prevalent. Um, and there yeah, aspects- the security problems are really there. There was one story that came out about a month ago is there was a casino in Vegas that got hacked. Oh, and the way that the hackers were able to get in was through like, a smart thermostat in one of the aquariums. What? How like the, the casino had like an aquarium somewhere in it as, you know, just like scenery or whatever. But how would you hack an, 
an aquarium thermostat. So there was a smart thermostat. So the thermostat was connected to the internet of the whole casino. And they were able to hack into the rest of the casino through the smart thermostat. That's some good hacking, if you ask me. It is, but it's also, you're introducing every single device that's connected to your home network is another potential port of entry. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Like the, the example that I heard for people explaining it is like, if you think about the casino's lo- like intranet of all their things that are connected or whatever, you can think about it like a city that every in every building the front door is locked but the first thing that you're going to do if you wanted to break into a building or break into the city is you're just going to walk around and then just jiggle the handle of every single door and see if something opens and then once you're in everything's connected that makes sense i get that i get that um so but voice control ease of ease of use for a lot of things um i can set up the house so that the lights come on or the garage door opens as i approach the home that's kind of cool i don't have the garage feature but i plan to get some type of smarter garage door that way i can check and make sure the garage door is closed when i'm not home just like having a stove uh, having a stove maybe i'm just old but like I don't care if I come home to a house that's dark. Well, My, and, I don't even have an automatic garage door opener. I have to pull it up. But it's fine. <laughs> uh, for those of you guys listening, James uh, held out a very, very long time at having a smartphone um, and even a voicemail. So, and um, I, I like. I I'm, still have a policy of not checking my voicemail. I tell people if you call me and I don't answer, shoot me a text message because I'll respond to that. But I like. I, I mean, trust me, I spend way more time on my phone than i want to and my uh, phone still has buttons i refuse yeah. to buy a phone that doesn't have buttons well, you're, you're running out of time on that one um all right and then let's see Smart <laughs> you put a disco ball in your garage that's so, a good idea i do have a nice stove that's it's a, a great idea it's all electric kitchen nice stove to match um nice oven to match too um but we'll get there once that once that stuff comes in apparently there's another 25 day delay on on more fucking kitchen items so i blame coronavirus uh let's see need production in the west otherwise china depend uh i think i'm talking about oil here in some of my notes the internet things high surveillance so yeah i just i think just like you have in china where the government is highly surveilling the citizens i think that's if if you're going to want to use public services like travel and air travel public transportation, I think we're really going to see a lot more surveillance and you're going to have to divulge a lot more information. Just like right now, you have to get a shot to travel somewhere. I see they're not just wanting to see your vaccine records, but they're going to want to see more of your travel history. Um, You know, maybe if you visit it, if you belong to certain groups, like say you visited certain websites and that's being tracked. You may not, you may be on a no fly list. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, but I think I definitely see that in the 25 year mark where what you're doing is going to stop you from accessing a lot of things. Well, and that's already happening in China as we talked about last episode, Yeah, but 
I, I to to respond to some of the comments and just my general theory on all this, I think that all like all these smart devices and everything, I think that they make life more complicated. How many how many passwords do you have right now? How oh, many I, websites do you have memberships to that are password protected? How many different websites do you have passwords to? But this but this is my dishwasher argument. This is my dishwasher argument. Do I want a dishwasher? Fuck yeah. Will I always buy a dishwasher if I have a new kitchen? Yes. Is a dishwasher more efficient than rinsing your dishes off every time you use them? No. Yes. No, it is. It's not because I, I just can prove this to you. I just I just cooked dinner and rinsed off the dish and it was done. It took me, it took I didn't nothing dried on the pan, nothing dried in the plate. I rinsed it, I dried it off, put it away. Now if, I could if you have a dishwasher that has a full load where everything it like it's one hundred percent packed, the dishwasher mm -hmm. is more efficient than washing each one of those glasses individually. No, if you it's have a more, dishwasher more with efficient. one dish in it, no, you're you're, sure. you're arguing efficiency of water use. I'm also arguing time efficiency. And in all the time that your dishes are loaded in the dishwasher and they are dirty, you are unable to use those dishes. Well, so so then dishes. you have to wait the half hour, 40 minutes for the cycle, and then you have to put everything away, which may take you an extra 12 minutes. So you're in for 40 to, to 50 minutes if you want to run the dishwasher cycle versus what I'm saying is a stitch in time will save nine. So that's my dishwasher argument. Yeah, it's water usage, yes, it's it's more efficient. But time usage, spending 40 seconds rinsing your stuff, drying it, and putting it away is more efficient than having to wait for yeah, everything to wash. Yeah, but if you have a full dishwasher and you were to try and wash all of those dishes by hand, it would take you about the same amount of time as the dishwasher's going well, to cycle. Yes, but we're not letting it build up in my in my theory here. No, well, I am. I'm letting it build up to the <laughs> point where, oh, crap, can't fit anything else in there. All right, I guess I got to run it. Uh, all right, let's see what else we have. I had some notes on oil dependency. Where are we in the notes here? Rush says we should put a disco ball in the garage. I love that idea. I, I want to do that. Happen. It's uh, going in my garage. <laughs> uh, Lisa said she doesn't check her voicemail. Uh, what else am I missing here, guys? Uh, I really want to talk about um, the need for travel in the future, whether we see that going up or down. Up. But telecommuting. Well, there's there's two. I guess there's business travel is going to go down because companies are realizing after coronavirus that a lot of those travel expenditures were unnecessary. But pleasure travel is going to go up because people realize how valuable it is to be able to leave their city and go somewhere else that's new and different. But why not stay at home and, and play this VR game where you get to explore Shanghai for way, way ass cheaper, like fucking cheap as shit? Versus an actual trip to Shanghai with hotel stay and airfare and all the Chinese food. So that's kind MX of MX likes the disc ball, disco ball idea. That's going to happen. <laughs> so you need a stripper pole too. Um, I, I could probably find a way of installing one in the garage. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. Uh, I'm I'm curious about the need for travel though. I think we're going to have some major enhancements to rail maybe some underground travel um i think i'm curious about air travel how that's gonna go it's gonna come back i know it's gonna come back but i'm saying what, what's the future of air travel how, how are we optimizing airplanes how are we making them more efficient how are we making them faster because we're not really there's a pretty doing... hard limit to how much faster airplanes can go that's my point is we're not we're not doing much 
two of them right now. They all run on on uh, kerosene, basically. Yeah, but fossil jet fuel. A. Yeah. Um. So. Well, so yeah, the problem with like making air travel faster is that, like, the the speed the yeah the the speed of sound is kind of a hard limit to air travel. Where like yeah, you can travel supersonically, but it's way more expensive to do so. It requires a lot more engineering in the plane, and it's way less efficient fuel wise. Yeah. Um. And as you get closer and closer to the speed of sound, you'll have basically sound pressure building up on the plane. So like if you can't really go too much faster um than what planes currently travel at which is about 550 to 600 miles an hour if they go any faster than that then they start to lose efficiency really really fast because the the speed of sound builds up pressure that reduces their efficiencies i i always think about when i'm driving like really really fast i was on the motorcycle the other day heading back from the city into jersey and i was going i was going pretty quick in between kind of clusters of traffic um and I always think about how if I'm doing like 50 or 60, what my fuel economy is. So the fuel economy is decent, but it takes me longer to get there. So I use more fuel. Um, no. Well, if you're, if you're calculating miles per gallon, I, I use more my, I, I can go more miles per gallon than when I'm going faster, even though it takes me less time to get there. I'm still burning more fuel over the course of those miles, which right. I think is interesting because you have more momentum. Um, and momentum, no. Um, air resistance scales um, exponentially. That's interesting because the air resistance is the biggest deterrent uh, to speed for me on the motorcycle. Well, right. But so air resistance, if you go twice as fast, you're encountering four times the amount of air resistance. I never knew that. Um, what's the principle behind that? Do you know? Um, it's the square cube law, but just dial it back. Um, basically, take the derivative. So you've got a cross section, which is going to be a 2D form. So you've got uh, two uh, dimensions of cross section a, and one a, dimension of velocity. Yeah. So as you're pushing you're pushing the same thing through like your velocity is increasing by the power of one and your cross sections effect on the air is increasing by the power of one uh, well x and then x squared um i can show you graphs of this yeah i'm, I'm curious how that how that would work i, I it's get the same thing saying, but it's the, the same the, thing where like if your car is traveling twice as fast it takes four times longer for it to break by distance so if you're traveling at 30 miles an hour and it takes you 60 feet to get to zero if you're traveling at 60 miles an hour it it'll take, take you it. 120 feet to break down to or uh, 240 feet yeah no exactly not 120 you would be led to believe that it would take you 120 which is double because you're doing double the speed but in actuality you're saying it takes you four times as much so um I will do the research on this one or something because I, and the reason why I know this is like um, I cycle quite a bit and in the world of cycling, air resistance is yeah. the nemesis of every cyclist um, where when you're, if you're biking, if you're traveling at 25 miles an hour, 90% of your energy into the pedals is fighting wind in your face. 
Whereas yeah, well, if you- uh, yeah, the wind, uh, I've, I've been on the bike and it feels like the wind is going to, because your spokes in your wheels it's good well yeah so you're gonna you have your feel wheel cross section the virtual cross section of your wheels from the spokes yeah but you also like for cycling it's the cross section of your body of your the body section yeah. of the frame yeah. um i realize that but i'm saying the spokes just because they're spinning so rapidly you can actually it feels like the cross wind that's blowing across you yeah you can he's going to pull the bike from underneath of you I almost got yeah. blown off of my bike about two months ago. Like a 30 mile an hour gust hit me when I was doing about 25 miles an hour. And like, it actually lifted up my front wheel. I, I believe that. I believe that. Um, so look, let's, uh, let's wrap it. Next podcast, uh, continue the futurism sessions. Oh, somebody's listening to me. Uh, oh shit. Some, some smart device in the house. It's actually the Facebook camera that mounts to your TV. Fuck. That was weird. I did not know that was voice activated. Weird. Um, so look, on episode four of the Futurism Sessions, which is what I'm calling these uh, these talks for the future, This I want to talk about religion. Uh, Future of religion. Yeah, where, where that's going, because I, I mean, let's face it, it's not looking good for religion in the future, and it's not looking good for civilization, you know, based off what religion does to people. Um, I want to talk about who to trust because there's a lot of mistrust and false information being sown uh, in the media space. So you're, you're running out of trustworthy sources. Companies that get called out for printing fake news can lose instant credibility. So you can have a huge company that, um, that loses credibility instantly. You know, you can have uh, New York Times post, you know, post something that's just completely false. Every news organization attacks and draws attention to it, and they just lose a huge amount of viewership. Something along those lines. Um, whether people are going to be happier in the future, uh, you know, people tend not to be happy people when you when you poll them. So, general happiness is: are those polls going to go up? Are they going to go down? Um, when I get into capitalism, especially, uh, you know, when it comes to climate, the direction of the, the environment and the climate, um, I want to talk a little bit more about brain tech and maybe some nuclear power, but the religion one, I think is going to spark some, uh, controversy. So we'll see where that one goes. Uh, anything you want to add before we wrap? No. Um, I do kind of want to, <laughs> I want to send this link to, um, this is a graph of four cars and their air resistance. Um, okay. And it's a, it's a Mitsubishi Eclipse, a Honda Civic, a, a Chevy Blazer, and a Hummer too. Let me see if I can throw that in the screen here. Uh, do a... And what you can see with each one of them is that they're all hyperbolic curves. Now, each one of them is going to be a different slope equation because of the like the Mitsubishi Eclipse is more sleek than a Chevy Blazer or a Hummer 2, which is basically just a giant square punching through the air. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely uh, that's an interesting graph. But so that's 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 how air resistance works, is that it goes up as as the square of speed. Interesting. Um, 
All right, look, you guys can catch James on Twitter at GetOffMyLawn204. James will work on tweeting some tweets. Yeah, I actually need to put something up. Yeah, I he haven't does. done it in a while. Um, and you can catch me across all the platforms, Justin DiGiulio. Uh, on that note, though, let, oh, let me see if I can throw this. Uh, here we go. All right, that's better. Uh, the vehicle drag force. All right, now we got it on... Uh, on Instagram and uh, it should be on, on Facebook. So uh, on that note though, guys uh, subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate that. The audio podcast and the video podcast on YouTube. And uh, on that note, we will yeah. see you guys next episode, Tuesdays, Thursdays, eight thirty PM live or catch us afterwards. Subscribe. See and as always, there. we like the, uh, the feedback in the comments from you also keep, keep them coming. Of course. All right, James. Adios. Oh, and many thanks to Rosh Galeb, who's helping us produce the podcast. He is silent in the background. He's reading your comments and he is feeding them to us via the chat feature on Zoom. He's the reason why we can interact with y'all. Exactly. All right, guys. Adios. I'm out. See you. All right. That concludes this episode. I will see you next time. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, like the episodes, and uh, let us know what you want to hear about. Let us know your feedback because that's where we get the real content for the show. So thank you very much, and uh, I'll see you soon. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.